Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. I know we've taken some time. I think I can still um, get this in, but let me share this passage of Scripture with you. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him, Jesus, by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. So we have this prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Well, Peter's given some of a qualification of what it means to be a true teacher of the Word of God. And he qualifies himself as being one. And really what this passage is dealing with is the authority of the Bible. Because Peter is a writer of some of the books of the Bible. He is the writer of 1st and 2nd Peter. And a lot of people don't realize this, but Mark basically writes his gospel from Peter's perspective. If you don't believe me, go back and read through the book of Mark and see how many times Peter is mentioned and Peter is quoted by what he says. So Mark is pretty much a, a kind of a, a telling of Peter's perspective of the gospel. So we look and we see Peter's uh, qualifications. To know the difference between a true gospel and a false teaching, you must have confidence in the source. Now, according to what Peter is saying is, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. Now, false teachers will spin tales, they will use mythology, they will use fables, they will use whatever they can to kind of spin things to weigh They want things to be seen and understood. Believe it or not, most false teachers use scriptures. It's not like they're saying, oh, you just got to get rid of the Bible. No, they use the Bible, but they take things out of context to make it what you want it to say. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some people today that preach in pulpits that take things out of context to make them say what they want them to mean. And... Did you know that the Bible teaches that we are to eat, drink, and be merry? Did you know that? Well, it says right here in Luke chapter 12, verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So we all believe that's the way we're supposed to live the rest of our lives, right? Well, that's what a false teacher would tell you. But look at the next verse, verse 20 of Luke chapter 12. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night your soul is required of you and now who will own what you have prepared. See the danger of taking something out of context and not leaving it in the context of what the Word of God says. So we must be always weary of someone who just uses especially a verse or two of Scripture and say, this is what God says. No, we need to always make sure that we are not following devised tales or things taken out of context, but we need to always make sure that we're taking it in the biblical context. Um, Peter is somewhat separating himself from those who uh, share uh, false teachings. And he's also using the word we. Now he's, look at verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, who are the we that Peter's talking about? Well, if you read verses 17 and 18, you understand that he's referring to something that happened that he and a couple of other people were eyewitnesses of. And that is called the transfiguration of Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, Mark and Luke also both record this. Let me just read the passage that deals with the transfiguration. Matthew 17, 1 through 5. Six days later, Jesus took him with him, Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, to them, talking with him. Peter said to the Lord, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So what Peter is describing is when he, James and John, those inner circle apostles of Jesus, were invited by Jesus to go up on a mountain with him, and they were eyewitnesses and earwitnesses of seeing Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Moses represents the law of the Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets of the Old Testament. So basically, God had... Moses and Elijah to stand with Jesus, basically saying he is the one that we spoke of in the law as well as in the prophets. He is the Messiah. And then God tops it off by coming in a great cloud. You're not going to see God, but these men heard his voice. And God, the God of all majesty, the majestic glory, God Almighty spoke, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Peter is saying, I was an eyewitness to that. And because of that, God has used me to write these letters to you. And God inspired these words through me to you. And in that sense, the we also includes all those who have written uh, the, the word of God. And we're going to get into that part in just a few moments. But here, Peter is showing his qualifications. We 
James, John, Peter, Paul, all the others who wrote the, the scriptures, Old Testament and New, we are the ones who were used by God to bring forth these truths. These are the true words of God. Now, we're going to look at how they became inspired in just a few minutes. But verse 19 says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure. The word of God is sure. That means that there is nothing wrong with it. There's nothing, there are no errors in it. It is a sure word. We can trust the word of God. Uh, any book that you read, you can't always tell if it's truthful or not. But the Word of God is true from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelations. And we look and we see that it is there because God inspired men to write these words. Now, a lot of people have wondered how in the world did God do that? Did they come into a trance and they, their hand just started writing what they didn't know what they were writing? I don't believe so because we see the personality of the writers in each one of the writings. But at the same time, we know that it is the inspired of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this, All Scripture, old and new, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So we know that God inspired that word inspired actually means God breathed. It means that God, through His Holy Spirit, breathed His Spirit into man, and man understood what God wanted them to share. And that written word became the gospel, as well as the Old Testament, and all the books, uh, other books. So we look and we see that the word of God is true, and we need to understand that it is a sure word that we can trust it. So the Word of God that Peter and the others wrote uh, became a shining light into a dark and murky world. Look at the last part of verse 19. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So we look at that little phrase and we see that the Word of God is a lamp. It's a spiritual lamp. If you remember back in... Uh, Psalm 119, I got it somewhere here. Yeah, 119 verse 105, David said, Your lamp is a light to my feet, a uh, lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's word is that spiritual light that we need. He is, he's given it to us to guide our path uh, through life. And if, you, if you've ever read through Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, and the Hebrew alphabet, I think, has 22 letters, and there's 22 octets, uh, so it's 176 verses. And each one of those verses deal with the statute, the law, uh, the ordinances of God, and how we are to take those and live by them. So here, Peter is using basically the same type of terminology that his word, these prophetic words, prophetic doesn't mean just the prophets. It means the words that God has given man to share. These prophetic words are more sure, and we need to pay attention to them so that they will be the light, 
that we need to shine into the dark place, which is this, this earth. Then he says, until the day dawns and mor the morning star arises in your hearts. Now, there is going to be a day where the world will no longer be a dark and murky place. That's when Jesus comes again. He will be that morning star that arises in our hearts. Now, what is the morning star? It's called the sun. It's the sun that comes up over the horizon and takes away the darkness, the physical darkness of the day and turns it into light. The spiritual morning star is Jesus who will rise again, he will come again, and he will take away the darkness of this world and shine spiritual light. The S-U-N will become S-O-N. In uh, Revelations it says, we will no longer need the sun, S-U-N, because Jesus will be our light. And so what Peter is saying is that, yes, there's a dark world and we need the word of God so that we can see the right path to follow but there will be one day where the morning star Jesus will arise and we will no longer be in darkness then verses 20 and 21 really focuses on the inspiration of the word of God but know this first of all that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy has, was ever made by the act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So, there again, false teachers will take this out of context and say, well, that means that the common man has no right to try to interpret scriptures for themselves. That's not what it means. If you read the whole verses, those two verses in context, it says, no prophecy was ever made by the act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke by God. What, it, what this passage is talking about is how did we get the Bible? How did we get the scriptures? It wasn't by a man saying, you know, I think I know what's right and wrong, so I'm going to write a book of the Bible and stick it in. It did not come from man's interpretation of what's right and wrong. It came by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So the only, only thing that we have in our scriptures today are those books that were determined to be inspired by God through the use of men to write them. So if you try to take this out of context, the Catholics did this, the Church of God did this. They basically said, let's use this as our proof text to say, the common man should not have the scriptures in his own language. And for many, many years, it was illegal to have an English version of the Bible in England. Think about that. You could not read the Bible in the common language in England. Because the Church of England says, no, you can only trust our priest to interpret the scripture, and so the Scriptures can only be written in Latin, and they have to go through special training to be able to understand what the Latin means and then tell you in English what it means. Catholics did the same thing. They would not allow the, the Scriptures to be written in a language common to man. They, too, used the Latin versions of the Scriptures. And so, does anybody not have a Bible? 
Have you ever read it for yourself? Obviously you have. Have you ever gotten anything out of it? Hopefully you have. This is not talking about us interpreting the Bible. This is talking about man interpreting what God wants us to know. God's already given us the inspired Word of God. No, nobody's ever going to be inspired to add another book of the Bible. God took care of that in His own unique way. But I encourage you to read, study, and meditate on the Scriptures. But I want to put a qualifier on that encouragement. When you open up your Bible, before you read the first word, pray. Pray. Pray that God will give you wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding of what you read. Not only of understanding what you read, but how it applies to your life and how you can live that truth out in your life. Now, let's be honest. There's certain scriptures that may not apply directly to us in a way that we're going to live it out. But God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It does provide us guidance to know how to live. Sometimes there are specific guidances as how we ought to serve Christ, how we ought to be his witnesses, how we ought to minister to the needs around us, how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and all these types of things. But as we read, study, meditate on the Word of God, I encourage you to always spend time in prayer first. Because if you just read it, in your own strength, you're probably not going to get out of it what God wants you to get. But if you spend time in prayer first, seeking godly wisdom as you read, study, and meditate on it, I believe with all my heart He will answer that prayer and He will give you a greater insight of the truths of His Word. So we look and we see that here's what Peter's dealing with. There are false teachers they can and they will take scriptures out of context and try to make them sound what they mean. Peter is relating back to not only himself, but to other writers of the scripture. That they have been inspired by God, just like the end of verse 21 says, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. These men prophesied, they, they, they told, they became uh, God's mouthpiece of the scriptures. And so this is how the Bible came into being. Peter is one of those. John is one of those. James was not a writer of the Bible. We do have a book of the Bible called James, but that was Je uh, Jesus' half-brother who became a, a believer after Jesus' resurrection. The apostle James actually was executed, as I think his head cut off, very early in ministry. And so he was not a writer of the scriptures. But we know that God used unique individuals to write the scriptures. They were inspired by him. And that's what Peter is saying. Only when you hear the true inspired word of God in its context are you to believe it. Now, taking things out of context, it would be very easy for me to teach topical things, and I could say, okay, well, I want to preach on this, this, or this. Well, then I would be going through and trying to find proof texts of what I wanted to preach on. And it would be very tempting, very easy to find a verse or two 
that say what I want it to say and take it out of context. I personally preach expository. That means I take big chunks of the scripture at a time. Most often, uh, a book of the Bible. Right now, we're not going to go through the whole book of Matthew. We're just dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. So a big chunk of the scriptures at a time. Number one, I'm not tempted to take anything out of context because you're seeing the entire context of what the Word of God says. And there's an opposite side of that too. I'm not going to omit anything that's hard to preach. If so, a few weeks ago, I probably would not have wanted to preach on divorce. I probably wouldn't want to preach on this. I probably wouldn't have preached on this. There's a lot of things that are uncomfortable for a pastor to preach on. They're easy to over to, to submit from your, your schedule of preaching. But if you preach expository and you take a big chunk of the scriptures at a time, you can't skip over it. It's there. It's pretty obvious when you do skip over it. So I think what Peter's main thing is, is don't let people fool you into what you are hearing. They can use scripture and it will sound good because it's straight out of the Bible. But if you don't take the scripture as a whole, the Bible as a whole, the Bible does not contradict itself. It is the same passage from Genesis to Revelation. It does not contradict itself. If God ever contradicts himself, there is a purpose for it. One of the contradictions people say, well, yeah, he does. In the Old Testament, they're not to eat certain types of animals. In the New Testament, a sheep comes down and there's all sorts of unclean animals and God tells a young man to rise, kill, and eat. There's a difference there. But we look at the whole picture of God being in control of His people, giving them His wisdom and His guidance, and we see the big picture instead of just taking a little verse or two out of context. And most of the time, if anybody takes anything out of context, then they start spinning the tails, saying, well, this means this. This means this. I had a revelation of this. Anytime that somebody says, I had a revelation, more than likely it's probably a good time to leave, head out the door. I'm not saying that God cannot still speak and give me or other pastors a revelation, but most of the time when somebody says, I had a revelation, what comes out of their mouth now next is something so far-fetched that you can't find it in the scriptures. They have started spinning a tale. They may use one or two verses of scripture as their proof text, but more than likely, they're making something up that they want to prove for themselves. Studying the Word of God is scary. You need to do it in the Spirit of God. You need to know that whoever stands before you to teach, whether it's me as a pastor or your Sunday school teacher or whoever it may be, is true to the Word of God. That they're not taking anything out of context and they're being true to the Spirit of the Word as well. Okay? Let's close our prayer then. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the food that was provided. Thank you for our time of fellowship. Lord, I pray that we will live by these words to realize that your word is sure. Your word is true. Lord, we do not have to worry about whether or not this passage is true. 
Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to understand that the scriptures that we have are such a blessing that you gave an inspiration to individuals that you chose to write these words so that we have them today thousands of years later and they're still just as accurate, still just as true to us today as they were the day that we were written. And Lord, we do pray that you will always give us that wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding of what we do read, study, and meditate on so that it will ring true to our hearts and that we will be faithful in living them out as we apply them to our lives. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.